In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks, Christy, and uh, good morning, everyone. Um, as you know, has been made public. We are leaving in a bit over a month, Caitlin and myself, and uh, our family. And so, can I just say before uh, I get started this morning that it's just been a tremendous privilege to uh, come up here and preach and bring the Word of God to you. This is probably the last time that I'll be doing that. Um, and so it's, it's no small thing, I'm aware of that. Um, there's a little note on this podium that says, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Uh, and in the times that I've been up here, and this morning as well, it's my aim to show you Jesus, because he is the one that we need. He's the only hope and light of this world. Um, and so I hope that in some small way over the past few years, I've been able to help you see the glory of Jesus for who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning and um, we pray that by your spirit this morning you would help us to see the glory of Jesus. Uh, Lord, in and of ourselves, we struggle to do that. It's a time of year where we can often be so distracted and preoccupied with the busyness of life and so we thank you for this small amount of time that we have this morning to hear from you, uh, to hear from your son. Uh, Lord, help us to listen, help us to see him for who he is and trust and believe in him more and more. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, well, it is a time of year where we rightly think about, in a particular kind of way, the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born into our world as a baby. Uh, but this week, I stumbled across a little bit of research. I'm not sure if it's there on a slide, Tom, but it's um, a bit of research from the, the same people that do this National Church Life Survey. Uh, and they asked people what they believed about Jesus. And it turns out that only about half the people surveyed believed that Jesus was a real historical figure. There was another few who believed that Jesus was a myth and others who weren't quite sure. But that raises the question, 
if you were talking to any one of those people about Jesus, what would you say about him? What would you want them to know and believe? The words that Christy read for us earlier, they were written by a guy called John, funnily enough, uh, and he was clear about what he wanted people to believe about Jesus. John had spent a few years with Jesus. He came to a, a settled conclusion about who he was. And then some years later, he wrote this book, The Gospel of John. And he actually gives us the reason why he wrote it. Later in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I've written these things down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The reason why we have these words written for us, the reason why we're looking at them this morning, is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, we may have life in his name. And not just believing for the first time either, uh, but go on believing, coming back to Jesus and having our faith in him sustained and strengthened. That's what we're on about this morning. And what we'll do is we'll consider three angles of Jesus that have been given to us in this chapter. First, we'll consider that Jesus here is called the Word. What does that mean? Second, we'll consider what it means that Jesus is called life and light. And finally, we'll look and ponder the wonderful truth that this one who was Word and life and light became flesh. So they have it, Word, light and flesh. The very first thing we read in the Gospel of John are these words in verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John spent three years with Jesus, and here he only takes three verses to tell us the most important thing that he wants us to know. What John wants us to know is that Jesus, the Word is God. He was there at the creation of the world, but more than that, he's the one through whom everything was made. He's the one who thundered through the heavens and made stars and planets and galaxies. He's the one who crafted mountains and valleys and jungles, and he's the one who made you and me. Whatever your view of Jesus is, If you don't believe that Jesus is God, your view of Jesus is too small. John tells us from the get-go, he drops this bombshell, Jesus is God, the creator of everything. The question is, why is Jesus called the Word? There's a couple of things to say. The first of which is that all throughout the Old Testament, the Word of God, or the Word, is a term that's used to describe something that goes out from God and achieves his purposes. So we see that in creation, in the beginning, which is also how John chapter 1 starts. In the beginning, God created, and how did he create? He simply spoke words. He said, let there be light, and there was light. The word of God achieves God's purposes. We also see his word achieving his purposes in deliverance and salvation. So Psalm 107 is a psalm about lots of different ways that God rescues and redeems people. 
And verse 20 tells us this. God sent out his word and he healed them, healed people. He rescued them from the grave by his word. Isaiah 55 tells us, As the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so my word achieves its purposes. The word of God is sent out from God and achieves his purposes. That's the first thing to say. And the second thing to say is that the word of God reveals to us who he is. That makes sense, right? It's hard to know much about a person unless they speak words, express themselves. And God has spoken to us, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, through his Son. Jesus is the ultimate expression of who God is. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. It's easy, I think, for lots of us to kind of make up our own ideas about what God is like. Some people think that God's a bit like a butler in the sky. We ask him for things and he brings things to us. Some people think that whoever God is, he's someone who must be happy with who I am and the way I choose to live my life. A lot of us, I think, though, have an even subconscious misconception of God that he is someone who is frequently angry and austere and cold and distant and disappointed with us. We slip up or sin and fail in some way and our own internal dialogue says, you idiot, really, again? Cannot believe you've done this again. When are you going to get better? When are you going to pull your socks up? That's how we think about ourselves. That's how we feel about ourselves. And we suspect that God might be feeling the same way. Like he's looking down from heaven, shaking his head with disappointment, turning his face away. But is that what God is like? Look at Jesus. Was he cold and distant towards people? Was he angry and disappointed all the time? No. The portrait that we get of Jesus in the Bible, in the Gospels, is not like that at all. There's many, many examples that show us his character, the character of God. He saw crowds of people like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. I don't know how you feel when you see people in the shopping centre or in the mall. Sometimes it feels like they're annoying, they're in your way. But that's not how Jesus felt. He had compassion on them. He healed the sick. People who were shunned and outcast by the rest of society, Jesus moved towards them and met them at their point of need. He fed the hungry. Miracles where he fed 5,000 and 4,000 people. He cared about their physical condition. He forgave sinners freely and frequently and willingly. Forgave sinners. 
He wasn't cold and distant. He expressed genuine warmth and depth of emotion. Twice we read about him breaking down and crying, and both times he's crying for other people. He cries for Jerusalem because they're so wayward and they won't listen. He cries for Lazarus and for his family. Jesus did have a stern side, a harsh side for people like the Pharisees and unrepentant sinners. But it's impossible to overemphasize his grace and mercy and gentleness and affection for sinners like you and me who would come to him. In his own words, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he tells us about what he's like. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast them out. I won't turn them away. And the trick for us is when we hear and read of Jesus saying those things, we've got to make the connection, okay, that is God. That's what God is like. Not angry and austere and disappointed. Gentle and lowly and compassionate and merciful. In your disappointment and your failure and your weakness and your sin, don't leave it up to your imagination about what God is like. Take Jesus at his word. Come to him and you will find the most patient, kind, understanding, gentle friend and God that you could possibly imagine. Jesus is the word. He's the one who shows us what God is like. That's our first view of Jesus today. The second thing we want to look at is the life and light of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What John has in mind here when he says that Jesus' life is more than just physical life. Yes, Jesus does have physical life. He's the source of all physical life. But the life that John has in mind is more than that. It's spiritual life, eternal life. You might say abundant life, life in all its fullness. So you hear Jesus say things like, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the classic verse, John 3.16, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. And that life that exists in Jesus is, we read, the light of all mankind. It's a spiritual life that when we believe in Jesus, receive him, we also receive spiritual sight. You might say enlightenment, understanding knowledge of spiritual realities, the ability to see things that you couldn't see before, wisdom and guidance, all of those things are wrapped up in this idea of light. So Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Yes, won't walk in sin, won't continue in sin, but also won't walk in confusion 
but will have the light of life. And notice the thes, the definite articles in what Jesus says. He's the life. He's the light. In verse 6 to 8, we read about John the Baptist and we're told very clearly, no, he's not the light. He's only someone who came to bear witness to that light. The title of the life and the light belong only to Jesus. Go looking for life, real, spiritual, full, abundant life outside of Jesus and you'll only find emptiness. Maybe you know that to be true in your own life. Perhaps you've gone looking for life in all sorts of places. We all do it. I do it. As you know, we're moving. What have I been doing? Glued to the real estate app, looking at houses in Queensland, as if somehow finding the right house in the right place for the right price is going to bring life. But what's actually been happening, Caitlin will attest to this, it's been making me a bit anxious and angsty and frustrated and impatient. Why? Because at some level, I'm looking for life in the wrong place. Is this true for you? Have you gone looking for life in a certain job? Or a certain amount of money? Or a relationship? Or status? Has the pursuit of those things brought you life? Or has it caused you angst and disappointment and anxiety? We go looking for that next big thing, but actually think about the last big thing that you got, whether it was a raise or a holiday or whatever it might have been. Sure, that thing probably sparked some joy, but did it last? Or has it left you feeling empty again, looking for the next big thing? C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, puts it like this. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Only in Jesus is there life. Real life, abundant life, spiritual life that satisfies. Not saying that everything's rosy and you're jumping for joy for the rest of your life. But seriously, I wonder if you do know something of the abundant satisfaction that comes from knowing Jesus from being able to come to him and find in him rich relationship and understanding and sustenance and forgiveness of sin, help and indeed light. Whoever follows me, Jesus says, will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. In a world that is seemingly becoming 
more dark and more confused and fractious, to know Jesus is to have the light of life. It's to have him as your shepherd and friend and guide. It's to have a light for your path and a lamp for your feet. Even in times that are dark and painful. Perhaps a bit like being a child in a dark bedroom, but, but always having the nightlight on. The rubber hits the road when you might have had a bad day with the kids or a bad day at work and you've done things and said things that you shouldn't have done. Where do you turn with that kind of guilt? How do you, how do you make sense of it? You turn to Jesus and know that in him is forgiveness, in him is help and guidance. To know Jesus is to have the light of life. Maybe in this life that light will seem small, just a flicker, but John chapter 1 assures us that the light is shining and darkness will not overcome it. Verses 10 and 11, they give us a glimpse into that struggle between light and dark. They say, the true light was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The people who Jesus came to didn't believe in him or receive him. They despised him and rejected him put him to death on a cross. The, the forces of darkness conspired to try and snuff out the light. But they didn't. It was through that death and resurrection that Jesus actually won. He, he beat sin and death and judgment for everyone who would believe, receive and believe him. And people are doing that. All over the world, people are receiving and believing in Jesus, being born again as children of God, being rescued out of darkness and brought into the light. Look at verse 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The light of Jesus is still shining all over the world. Right here in Launceston, in the Middle East, in Africa, in South Asia, in parts of the world where darkness is working hard to try and snuff out the light, the light is still shining. Every single day, people are still receiving Jesus and believing in him, becoming children of God. It's unstoppable from now until the time that Jesus comes back. It's unstoppable. The darkness has not and will not overcome the light of life. The light of Jesus, the Word. The Word who became flesh. That's our last angle for today. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What John wants us to know about Jesus is that he is the Word, he is God, he is the light of all mankind, and he became flesh. He was born as a baby. Do you, 
catch something of the disparity there. Think about babies. They're tiny and chubby and helpless and dependent. They're kind of pathetic. And now think about all the fullness of God, the light of life, the creator of the universe kind of compacted into this little human form. There's a disparity there that is beyond imagination. What do you even do with that? This Christmas, it's worth stopping and pondering and reflecting on something of the magnitude of the fact that the Word became flesh. God, in the person of Jesus, became one of us. He put on skin and bone and blood and muscle and experienced everything about being human except for sin. Eugene Peterson in the Message Translation said that God moved into the neighbourhood, almost like a wealthy king coming down from his castle to live in the slums for a little while. He walked the streets. He mixed with the crowds. He was seen. Let me give you just a few implications of that as we close. Number one, the thing that sets Christianity apart from other religions, or one of the things that sets it apart, is that it isn't just based on a philosophy or someone else's ideas, but it's based on a real historical person. Real historical facts. And our world is kind of funny when it comes to facts. On the one hand, facts are extremely important. We demand that our politicians tell us the truth. We only want the news to give us the facts. No fake news. But on the other hand, when it comes to things like worldviews and religions and beliefs, it seems as though facts don't matter as much. You believe whatever you like, that's fine for you, I'm just not into it. And that's probably people's prevailing attitude when it comes to Jesus. But consider the facts. Did Jesus really live or not? Did he die and rise again or not? Is what he said about himself, what John tells us about him, true or not? If it's important to get the facts right when it comes to the behaviour of politicians or the news, how much more infinitely important is it to get the facts right when it comes to the God of the universe? If there is a God who made this world and who made you, what could be more important than working out who that God is and how you can relate to him. Number two, speaking of how we relate to God, another thing that sets Christianity apart from other religions is that it's not so much about how we can work our way up to God. No, it's a story about how God came down to us to make a way for us to know him. The word became flesh. He did what no ordinary human could do and he acted as our substitute. Lived a perfect life on our behalf. Died and took the penalty for our sin. Only another human could do that. 
Number three, because Jesus lived a human life, he can sympathise with our weaknesses. He's such a great saviour because he knows exactly what it's like to be us. He experienced everything about being human except for sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be a baby, to be weak and helpless and dependent. Kids. Jesus knows what it's like to be a kid, to have your parents telling you what to do, to have your siblings getting stuck into you, to be tempted to react. Jesus knows what it's like to be a young person, He knows what it's like to laugh out loud, to enjoy food and drink. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty and tired. He knows what it's like to need time alone, to depend on God in prayer. He knows what it's like to grieve and feel sad in a world where tragedies happen, where kids die in the most random, tragic circumstances and parents and whole communities grieve, Jesus knows what it's like to grieve. Not far off and distant. We have a God who knows what it's like to be in the mess with us. He knows what it's like to be rejected and betrayed and hated and falsely accused, the God of the universe knows what that is like. Let me finish with this. There's a little phrase in verse 14 uh, where John writes, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So my question to you as we finish is, have you seen the glory of Jesus? Do you recognise that he himself is God and reveals to us what God is like, full of grace and truth? Do you look to him for life and light? Do you find your joy and strength and help in the person and work of Jesus? Do you believe in the historical Jesus? The one who was born, who lived and died and rose again. Will you come to him as one who can sympathise with all your weaknesses? One who can forgive your sins? One who will deal gently with you with great grace and understanding and compassion? That's the Jesus Christ that John wants you to know. Let's pray that we all know him today. Let's pray.